With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Pittsburgh Steelers fans, what's going on? This is Jeff Hartman, Senior Editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com with you for another episode of Let's Ride, your Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning podcast as a part of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com's network of podcasts. I thank you for joining me. It is a victory Monday, everyone. Everyone should be excited. No, it wasn't perfect, but the Steelers claim victory 23-20. to They snap their streak. That winless streak, they had lost three games in a row to the Cincinnati Bengals, and now, well, that's done. The Steelers find a way to win again, 23-20, to overtime, Paycor Stadium. I think that's what they're calling that dump there. The Escalosa was in full effect. It was great to see, and the Steelers are 1-0. and Not that there's nothing to complain about, and trust me, there's a lot to complain about. And when you get to winners and losers in the second half of the show, there's going to be several losers. And it's not just losers like at key areas of the team. I mean, there's some individual players that just did not play very well. And then you talk about the winners. There was a lot of good that happened. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people, when it comes to athletics and sports, their focus is solely on the negative. Things that didn't go right. And sometimes what they forget is that a lot of things went right. So they focus so much on what didn't go the way they thought or wanted to, and therefore it clouds their judgment in terms of what actually went well. And we're going to talk about all of that. I mean all of that. I want to remind you, though, BehindTheSteelCurtain.com is going to be your one-stop shop for all things Pittsburgh Steelers. As they we recap this week one win over the Bengals, we normally spend at least two full days recapping the previous, recapping the previous game before we start moving ahead and looking to the upcoming game the New England Patriots coming to Acroshore Stadium for the Steelers' first home game of this regular season. But for the second straight year, for the second straight year, 
the Steelers did what most people would call is the unprobable when it came to week one on the road, six and a half point underdogs. They can't win this game. Found a way to win it. Before we get to that, and it was such a weird game, just the game in and of itself was just so weird. Let's get to some minutia here first. My parlay pfft, did not do well. The Steelers did go over the 19.5 points, got that right. Najee Harris, not even close. Uh, he ended up leading the game with injury in the fourth quarter anyway. Let's talk about that in a second. Uh, and then Pat Farmuth, although he had a big game, he did not hit pay dirt. So I know of at least one guy that used my parlay. Next week will be better. Next week will be better. My picks weren't bad. I picked the Steelers to win, but my parlay sucked. Speaking of injuries, let's talk about some of these injuries. The, the Steelers' victory was tremendous, and the Steelers' victory came at a cost. Uh, the, the injuries, the key injuries of note, is the biggest one is T.J. Watt. And T.J. Watt, after almost sacking Joe Burrow, he's coming off the field, and he's grabbing right at that joint, the shoulder joint. Now, if anyone has I, – I obviously had to take a lot of kinesiology and anatomy classes when I was in college – and you know about the anatomy of the musculature of the human body. And when someone is holding that part of the shoulder, uh, and you could definitely tell by the way his, his left arm moved when he was trying to hit Joe Burrow and his arm kind of slipped, and he, you could, could almost kind of tell that he's saying it felt like I tore my pec. So the pectoral, the pectoralis major, there's two of them. There's a major and a minor. The major is the visible one. The guy's pecs, when you think about it in that aspect. It attaches at your sternum and your rib cage and then also goes underneath your shoulders, the deltoid muscle, and attaches to the upper arm underneath that. The, I'm not going to get into the minutia of the details, but if that pulls off the bone, if you completely pull and tear your pector, pectoral muscle, you're done for the year. You're done for the year, and that's an injury that the Watt family knows well. That was the injury. I think J.J. Watt has torn his pec a couple times. Some people might call into question training methods or habits. I'm not about to do that. TJ Watts coming off a defensive player of the year in 2021. But still, we don't know that it's that dire of an injury. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, if you don't get to hear this show until, I don't know, Monday afternoon, we may have already found out that it's a season-ending injury. It's going to require surgery. Or maybe, fingers crossed, it's not a complete tear it's a partial tear and it can just be rehabbed and maybe he only misses the first six or seven games and you might say Jeff at six or seven games without TJ Watt I understand that sounds bad but it's better than a whole season so we'll see we have to wait and see it is possible if it's not a complete tear they have to do scans they have to do tests uh it's it's not looking good for him to have a quick return either way we'll put it that way so fingers crossed it's being reported by people like Adam Schefter, that it's a tear. It's it's or, it's not a tear. It's a pec injury. Mike Tomlin went the hockey route and said it's an upper body injury. So we'll find out more, I'm sure, on Monday at some point. Make sure you're staying tuned to Behind the Steel Curtain on all of our podcast platforms as well as in the written word on the website. Also, Levi Wallace left with an ankle injury. He did not return. Uh, don't know the extent of that injury. Mason Cole left with an ankle but was able to come back. Alex Highsmith left, and he had an undisclosed injury, but he was able to return. Uh, you just had a lot. Najee Harris was the other big injury. You know, Najee Harris, we knew about the foot injury prior to the regular season, and, boy, he got rolled up on bad. It looked like an ankle. Maybe it was uh, – they, they labeled it as a foot after the game, whatever. 
hey, you hope it's not serious. The, 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 the reports out now are that it's not deemed to be serious, but that's just right now. Well, we'll see what happens. If Najee Harris misses a game or two, they're going to have to shake some things up. You'd probably see Anthony McFarland getting promoted to the active roster. We don't want to go down that path until we know we're going to have to go down that path. But there were some injuries. There were some injuries and some injuries to some big-time players. Cam Hayward was down at the end of the game, but he was able to return, and he was even able to have a press conference after the game, so I feel like he's fine. Same with DeMarvin Leal, who was down at one point. You know, sometimes those veterans, and Leal's a rookie, but sometimes those veterans like Cam Hayward, when they look at the clock and they need to take a break, they're trying to slow down the momentum of the game. They'll just say they're cramping or they got a pulled muscle to get the training staff on to give the defense a break. That That's part of the game. They've done it before, so maybe that's what happened. But injuries, unfortunately, unfortunately, they're a, they're a part of this narrative after the week one game over the Bengals. All right. What we're going to do in the first half here is I'm going to give you my thoughts on several key aspects, three in particular. Three positions, three key aspects that have been a non-stop storyline and narrative since the last season ended up until week one of the regular season. So we're going to focus on those narratives, and then I'm going to update my DEFCON uh, levels heading into the upcoming week two game. So let's start off with quarterbacks. We have to start with quarterbacks, people. Come on, think about it. You have the Steelers. They choose Mitch Trubisky. There's a lot of people like myself that said, Get Kenny Pickett in there and give him some experience. And the one thing that I cannot I cannot get past my head, and I'm not suggesting, do not take what I'm about to say as here is Jeff saying that Kenny Pickett should start week two. That is not what I'm saying. But when I watched Mitch Trubisky, when I watched him operate the offense, when I watched his decision-making, when I watched his accuracy, when I watched his mobility in and out of the pocket, the one thing that kept coming to my mind was simple. Kenny Pickett can do all of that. He can do all of that. I mean, and he could probably do a lot of it better. He's a more accurate passer. He doesn't have a strong arm, but he's a more accurate passer. If you're only going to throw the ball five yards down the field at a time, don't you want a more accurate passer and arm strength doesn't really matter as much? Something to think about. Mobility, Trubisky didn't do anything that was wow. He's not Lamar Jackson, okay, people? Let's get that out of the way right away. And Kenny Pickett is more mobile than you think. And so what I'm saying is that Mitch Trubisky, to me, was very underwhelming. Everyone's saying, you know, that people have kind of, it. this whole fan base has kind of gone into sex. And I'm not talking about S-E-X. I'm talking about S-E-C-T-S. And there's the Kenny Pickett group. And then there's the Mitch Trubisky group. And everyone wants to constantly make their own narratives and their own storylines supporting their particular player that they like and they think is going to be best for the team. I get it. You would probably consider me to be in the Kenny Pickett section of the group, but I try to be as middle of the road as possible. If I'm just watching the game, and the Mitch Trubisky group right now is saying, well, he didn't have time. What do you mean didn't have time? I never saw, there were a couple plays that broke down and Trubisky had to run. A lot of those weren't from the offensive line. Those were coverage sacks or coverage plays where there's no one open downfield and Trubisky has nowhere to go with it, so he has to run. He was only sacked one time for a for two-yard loss, and it was his own it was his own damn fault. I'm going to say it the way I feel it. It was his own fault. For the second time, he did it against Detroit in preseason week three. Instead of throwing the ball away, he holds on to it and runs out of bounds for a minus two loss and a sack. I just don't get it. 
but he did it again. That was the only sack registered on Mitch Trubisky, and the Bengals only had, I think, five quarterback hits as a team, and they almost played five quarters. So if you want to talk about the offensive line and you want to talk about the rush offense, that's fair, that's valid, go after it. But from pass protection, give me a break. I'm not buying that. I'm not buying what you're selling. Mitch Trubisky at times looked tentative. He looked to be really safe with the football, and that's not necessarily a bad thing unless your team needs you to go out and make a play. They need you to go out there and get the job done. They don't need you to go out and just be safe. They need you to go out there and just go out and make that play. He didn't really do that. He didn't really do that. And when you have the inaccuracies, the indecisive nature, the Kenny Pickett calls are only going to get louder if he continues to play like this. Mitch Trubisky can control the narrative surrounding the quarterback by how he plays. And people say, well, that's a lot of pressure on Mr. Trubisky. Yeah, it is pressure. He's a professional athlete. Pressure comes with the territory. You either handle it or you don't. You either you can either handle the, the, the heat or get out of the kitchen. So with Trubisky and the quarterbacks, he is he's got to play better. He has to play better. And I'm not saying that the receivers were always wide open and he was missing them. Separation was an issue. However, the quarterback has to make better plays. It starts with the quarterback. And while Mitch, he's earned himself another start, probably another two starts, he has to play at a higher level. He's got to elevate his game if he wants to quiet the Kenny Pickett chance. That's how it happens. I don't want to hear anything about, well, the fans are just going to root for Kenny. They're going to root for Kenny because they think he's going to be better. So until Kenny Pickett gets in there and struggles, they're going to always think the guy that can come in is going to be better. If Trubisky doesn't give them a reason to want the other guy, it's a moot point. Let's continue. The offensive line, I spoke about them briefly there in that little rant. Everyone loves all about pass pro, pass pro, pass pro. It wasn't good enough. It was good enough. It was good enough. And when James Daniels comes out and says, hey, we put Dan Moore on an island out there against, uh, was it Hendricks, I think, or Hendrickson, whatever his name is, the pass rusher, great pass rusher for the Bengals, had him on an island. No sacks. Didn't surrender a sack. He had one holding call, which I I watched this game with Dave Schofield. He understands the trenches way more than I do. I said, Dave, is that really a holding call? He said, I'm sorry. I don't see it. Unless there's another angle. He goes, it looks like he just had his hands there, and he took him to the ground. He goes, I don't see the holding call. Maybe we were looking at it with our black and gold glasses on. I don't know. But the pass protection, I thought, held up well against a good Cincinnati pass rush. The run blocking was atrocious. Again. And the problem here is I find myself leaving games like this, and I'm thinking, well, can't we have both? Can't for once we have both? Can't for once we get good pass pro, we get good run blocking, and we have a really good offensive line performance? It hasn't happened in a really long time. I want it to happen. I want this offensive line to start to gel. I think they took a step forward in pass protection, but for the running game, when Chase Claypool is your leading rusher, <laughs> that is a problem. And remember, Najee Harris did not get injured until the fourth quarter. So it's not like, oh, well, Najee was hurt. That's how Chase Claypool led the team in rushes in rushing yards. No, that was not good. The next was the defensive line. You know, a lot of people are going to look at the numbers. Oh, they gave up over 130 yards rushing. Yes, 
They did. But when you think about the time that they played, they almost played an, an entire extra quarter in overtime. You look at Joe Burrow having over 40 yards rushing. You look at the giant run by Joe Mixon. This team, from a rush defense standpoint, kept them under four yards of an av- as an average. And on top of that, they minimized the damage. They minimized the damage on the ground. And Joe Mixon, although he did have that big run on fourth down, fourth and short, other than that, they did a great job bottling him up. I thought this was a huge step forward. It was good to see Larry Ogunjobi get through a whole game, look good, had a lot of pop at the line of scrimmage. They really rotated players through, even, even rookie DeMarvin Leal, who got a helmet over Isaiah Loudermilk. They, he looked like he belonged. I like that. All right, let's get to DEFCON. Remember, DEFCON, there's one to five. One is get out of town. Things are going sideways in a hurry. Five is all is well. Let's proceed with life as usual. So I, I don't have the preseason numbers here, but I'm going to tell you what it is right now heading into week two. So offensively, we'll get through this quick. Quarterback, four. I'm going to move it to a four. I was not pleased with Mitch Trubisky's play, but it's a four. Still, I'm very confident that even if Mitch can't get the job done, Kenny Pickett could come in and get it done. Wide receivers and tight ends, I'm going to say it's a five. There are people saying they couldn't get separation. I have to see it again. But as of right now, I didn't think they did anything to hurt their stock. I I still like the wide receivers and the tight ends. Offensive line, it's a three. They were able to, you know, think assuming that Mason Cole's injury is not going to linger in a week two, they remain healthy. The more they play together, the better this is going to be. I'm going to keep him at a three. Running back, it used to be like a four or a five. It's down to a two. With Najee Harris's injury, this who knows what this is going to Are they going to lean on Benny Snell? Is Jalen Warren going to get more looks? Who knows? Najee could be back next week, but if he's not, they have to figure out what this is going to happen, so that's why it's a two. Defensively, the defensive line I think is a four. Liked what I saw. They look like they are going to be stronger against the run. Are they going to be the 2008 Steelers defense? No, but they're going to be stronger than the, against the run than they were last year. Linebacker. Kudos to Devin Bush. He didn't light up the stat sheet, but no one was talking about him, and that's a good step forward. Miles Jack looked good. I thought Robert Spillane, I really questioned why he was out as much as he was. He suffered an eye injury, as Mike, Mike Tomlin called it. I don't know. I'm going to say four, though. I saw the inside linebackers played much better. Outside linebackers, like running back, two. Now it's down to a two. You, you're looking at losing TJ Watt for a very long time, any length of time, Boy, it's going to put some pressure on that group that was already thin. Now, you, you look at the Malik Reed edition. That looks genius now. Jameer Jones looks genius now. It's going to be really interesting to see what the Steelers do at that position. And then lastly, the um, secondary, I'm going to give it a four. I'm going to give it a four. I thought they played great. We'll talk about them in winners and losers. Special teams is a four. I'd love to see a little bit more consistency from our boy Presley Harvin. And Chris Boswell, I'll talk about him in the winners and losers as well, but I'm going to give the special teams a four. All right, folks, that does it for me in the first half. In the second half, I'm going to have winners and losers, eight winners and five losers. We'll be right back after this break. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice 
the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Pittsburgh Steelers fans, welcome back to the second half of Let's Ride. It is Monday. It is the day after a game. It is a victory Monday. We should all be excited. And you know what that means. It's time for the winners and losers. Like I said, eight winners, five losers after the Steelers' 23-20 overtime win in Cincinnati. Let's get things started with the winners, shall we? The top winner, and I put him here on purpose, was Minka Fitzpatrick. The stat line, 14 tackles led the Steelers in tackles, he had 10 solo tackles, a pass defense, an interception, and we knew that interception led to the first touchdown of the season. That was a pick six. It was a beauty. Minka Fitzpatrick was all over the field. He brought a chip on his shoulder. He had an edge about himself. Minka, mad Minka. This is what I said when I was, if you follow me on Twitter, I was he. if you paid attention to what he was saying this past week, He was leading the charge. You would never have guessed it, but he was leading the charge. He was the one saying, we remembered what they said last year. We remember how they acted last year. We remember it, and we're going to make sure we don't feel that way again. And so what happens? Boy, did he go out and make sure he was the one that was initiating contact. He and Joe Mixon were drawn at each other. It was a hit by Minka that led to T. Higgins leaving the game with a concussion. He was all over the field. Minka Fitzpatrick, Mad Minka, is my favorite Minka, and he's a winner. Next is TJ Watt. It really stinks that he has a stat line like this, and he left the game with injury. His stat line reads six tackles. Six of them were all solo. One sack. Three tackles for loss, which one of those where he absolutely blew up Joe Mixon in the backfield. Two pass defenses, a quarterback hit, and an interception. It was it was funny. If you watch the game, I'm sitting in Dave Schofield. Dave Schofield's in my living room watching the game. And all these defensive players are making plays. Alex Highsmith's getting sacks. There's turnovers galore. Cam Hayward's in the backfield. All this stuff's going on. And I said at one point, it might have been the third Bengals drive, I said, all right, TJ. TJ Watt was the guy I said was my X factor for today. I was like, all right, TJ Watt, time for you to make your presence felt. Let's see you make a play. So what happens in that drive? T.J. Watt sack, T.J. Watt interception. It was like, bang, he did it. I spoke it into existence. T.J. Watt definitely deserves to be on the winner's list after his performance on Sunday. Next winner is someone I just mentioned, Cam Hayward. He had two tackles, two solo. He had one sack, one tackle for loss, three quarterback hits, and a fumble recovery. That awkward play where Alex Highsmith was hitting Joe Burrow, and the ball fluttered to Cam Hayward. Cam Hayward thought it was an interception. I wasn't sure how they were going to rule it. They rule it a sack fumble, and it is a fumble recovery. But Cam Hayward did what Cam Hayward does. And even though his 
tackle statistics don't show it. He was great in run support, bottling up gaps. His run fits were nice. Uh, he's getting into the backfield, forcing Burrow to move off his spot. There were a couple times where it was Hayward's pressure that led to someone else's sack. So kudos to Cam Hayward. He could probably be on the winner's list every week. He's definitely a winner this week. Next winner is Deontay Johnson. Seven catches for 55 yards, a 7.9 average. He didn't have a touchdown. He had 25-yard long and 12 targets. Now, I could have also put Pat Fryermuth in here. Fryermuth led the team with receiving yards with 75, but it was Deontay Johnson's incredible sideline catch that I just felt really sparked this sparked this offense in overtime and got them near field goal range. Fryermuth had another catch, which got them in Chris Boswell's range, but still, that catch was outstanding on that sideline go back and watch it no one's talking about it after the game they're talking about Minka they're talking about TJ Watt they're talking about everything under the sun the missed kicks the long snapper injury for the Bengals whatever but no one's really talking about that Deontay Johnson catch on the sideline Deontay Johnson phenomenal catch huge play and a huge moment that's why he's a winner the next I decided to pair these two together Cam Sutton and Akella Witherspoon. Their combined stat line, they had 11 tackles total, and for cornerbacks, mind you, three pass defenses, and they had two interceptions. This tandem, this duo, if these are the guys, if these are going to be the starting cornerbacks for the Steelers, I kind of like it. I kind of like it. Yeah, Cam Sutton had that holding call, which I still felt was really bogus. That felt like it was so far away from the play. The NFL and those officials... They never call that stuff, and yet they picked that one moment. It was a game-changing moment, and they call that defensive holding call. It is what it is, but Cam Sutton and Akella Witherspoon, I thought they acclimated themselves well. That is a tough task going against Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, and Jamar Chase. Yes, they didn't have to deal with Higgins too much, but still, I like those that starting duo as, of, as we sit here right now. They had a great game. Deserve to be on the winner's list, in my opinion. Next is Alex Highsmith. Highsmith finishes the game with nine tackles, six solo tackles, a hat trick, three sacks, two tackles for loss, and four quarterback hits. We've been waiting for this. We have all been waiting for this for so long, for Alex Highsmith to finally, to finally get it together and say, I'm going to come out, I'm going to have a breakout party. Here we go, here I am, and it happened. Three sacks for him. He looked great. And what you forget, I know I did, is that he didn't even play that much in the preseason. Not hardly at all. He didn't let me let me correct myself. He didn't play at all in the preseason. So Alex Highsmith did a fantastic job. Was super happy to see him play well. He deserves it. Seems like a great guy. I know we've had his dad on our podcast. He's another great guy. So good for Alex Highsmith. Deserves to be on the winners list. The next winner. Then you might be sitting here thinking, really, Jeff, you're going to put this guy on the winner's list? It's Chris Boswell. So Chris Boswell finished three for four with field goals. We know that he missed the 55-yarder, which could have won it in overtime. He stoinked it off the left upright. But I said this on the postgame show, and I'm not sure if the guys that are on the show with me get it, really. I compare kicking to golf in a lot of ways because the, the motion, the way that you strike the ball is very similar in terms of moving it left to right, right to left, the spin on the ball, all that stuff. 
if anyone golfs at a high level, or even if you're not at a high level, and you're standing over the golf ball, and you know that there's a, you have to hit a, a beautiful shot. Let's say it's a tight fairway, or let's say it's a really small green or an elevated green with undulating, whatever. You need to make this shot. You got to make this putt, a six foot putt to win the match. I don't care what it is. There's a million terms I could go through, and you miss, and you miss it. You don't hit the fairway. You don't hit the green. You miss that putt. You lip it out, whatever. The next time you're in that situation, there's a good chance that's going to be in the back of your head. And this is when some of the great players at all positions have sometimes developed some confidence issues. Chris Boswell goes out there, has a 53-yard field goal to win the game. There's no other option. It's either win or tie. Nails it. I mean, nails it. In golf, when you hit a putt and it goes right into the center cut back of the hole, my grew up, my dad used to always say, dead nuts. Dead nuts. And right when it came off of Boswell's kit foot, I said to my I said to anyone that was listening, dead nuts, good. And everyone's waiting. Did he kick it on him? That kick would have been good from 63. Get out of here. Dead nuts. Good for Chris Boswell to kind of put that behind him. That earlier miss. 53-yarder game-winning field goal taken. Overtime Steelers win. The last and probably the most important winner is just the takeaways. The Steelers had five total takeaways in this game, one fumble recovery. They forced two fumbles, but the other one was recovered by the Bengals, and four interceptions. So five total takeaways. I think I saw a statistic that last year in the in its entirety, Joe Burrow was intercepted five times. I could be wrong. It probably wasn't that much. He was intercepted four times in this game. That is tremendous. In the first half, the Steelers scored 17 points, all off turnovers. So when you hear about, wow, they had five takeaways in the game, they probably is a route. One of them was a pick six. No, it wasn't a route. The offense struggled. We know this, but those takeaways in and of itself were remarkable. They were remarkable. All right, and let's go to the losers. So those are the eight. Let me go over the winners again. Minka, TJ, Cam, D Deontay Johnson, I always call him DJ, the Sutton Witherspoon tandem, Alex Highsmith, Boswell, and then the Steelers takeaways. All right, let's go to the loser side. The stat line for the rushing offense is atrocious. 22 carries, 75 yards, a 3.4 average, and a 15-yard long. Again, I said it before, I'll say it again. When you have a wide receiver that is your leading rusher and his name is not Debo Samuels, that's a problem, and the Steelers definitely had issues running the football again. A 3.4 average is not horrible. You'd love it to be around four. They never really felt, you never felt like they were really committing to the run. It still feels like they're being gimmicky when they're trying to run the football. It's just not good enough. The rush offense is a loser. The next is something I talked about in the first half of the show injuries. You just, I mean, yes, the win was great, but losing a TJ Watt and potentially a Najee Harris for any length of time is just a gut punch. It is an absolute gut punch. Big injuries to big players. It's one of the worst things to experience. But if I know one thing, if 2019 taught me anything, is that if when you think you lose the linchpin to your team, in that season it was Ben Roethlisberger's elbow injury, if it's this season it's TJ Watt, I am not going to count out Mike Tomlin to find a way to win, to still find a way to remain relevant. That is what I'm saying. So if 2019 taught me anything, don't give up on this season. All right, third down offense is the next loser. Four for 15. Four for 15. You listen to my show enough, you know 500 is a goal. 
You have to be 500 or better to get this on the winner's list. Not even flipping close. Four for 15. And I'm not even going to say anything else. Four for 15. Moving on. The next loser's penalties. The, the Steelers, they got hit with some very ticky-tacky calls, in my opinion. I mentioned Dan Moore's holding call, Cam Sutton's defensive holding call, even T.J. Watt with an illegal hands-to-the-face call. It, it, it happens. Sometimes they don't call it. Sometimes they do. That's the inconsistency of the NFL. They had eight flags for 59 yards. I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. They got to clean it up. They got to clean it up. Not talking about the officials. The Steelers have to clean it up. And the last, the last loser is the disparity in the time of possession. Listen to this. Cincinnati Bengals possessed the football. Now, remember, they had an extra frame here, an extra overtime period. <laughs> period. It's not hockey. Quarter, whatever. Cincinnati had the ball for 43 minutes and 43 seconds. Pittsburgh for 26 minutes and 17 seconds. That is remarkable. That is remarkable. Go a step further. The yardage, Cincinnati had 432 total yards, Pittsburgh 267. Just not good enough. Just not good enough. But you know what's crazy? Those losers, I'll read them again. The rush offense, injuries, third down offense, the penalties, and the time of possession. With all that being said, all of that stuff that I just mentioned, the Steelers still won the game. They still won the game. The Steelers are 1-0. and they're 1-0. They are right at the Cleveland Browns one, the Baltimore Ravens one, the Steelers won, and the, and the Bengals lost. So the Steelers have kept pace with everyone in the division. They've kept pace with everyone in the AFC. This is a big win, and it should be celebrated. Does that mean that the Steelers and their coaching staff are going to say, okay, guys, you did everything good, good job. We don't need any work on anything. No. This might be the perfect scenario. You had a good performance, a great performance by your defense, but there's still stuff to improve upon as the Steelers host the Patriots next week. The Patriots, who might be without Mac Jones, their quarterback, due to a back injury. We will keep you up to date on all of that at BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. It's a weird win, but it's still a win, and I'm going to take it. You should, too. It's a victory Monday. Celebrate. Rock the black and gold. Be proud. Be happy. And you know how we finish it out here, folks. Be safe, be kind, and God bless. Go Steelers. Look out for that tweet on Tuesday for the mailbag. We'll see you on Wednesday.